what we're looking for in relationship is for the the needs to be met that weren't met when we were children. And then the, I guess you could kind of say the ironic part of it all is that we also tend to attract people that represent, you know, our our caregivers in some fashion, right? They they help us play out some kind of energetic dance that we shared with the, with the caregiver. So we'll find ourselves drawn to that kind of person so we can repeat this pattern. This is episode number 497 with Janelle Annette, reparenting and inner child work for healthier relationships. I absolutely love this topic. I've been talking about it a lot with my clients and even here on the podcast when I've done some live coaching because I truly feel that reparenting, and we'll get into what that is, is so essential to really healing some of our childhood wounds. And if we don't do that work, we end up really being much more reactive and not operating from our best, most highest grounded self. And so I'm excited to introduce you to Janelle in just a moment. I'm Sandy Wiener. Welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you would like some support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. It is really just stories and tips and exercises. They're all designed to help you step more fully into your value. And you can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip from the book is step number 27, be proactive, not reactive, which actually dovetails nicely into today's topic because when you do your inner work, you are much less reactive. And so if you're going to have a tough conversation, it's easier if you've already set up agreements with somebody than to do the backpedaling that happens often in in relationships where you haven't actually done the designing of the relationship. So I challenge you this week to really take the time when you're getting to know somebody to let them know what your needs are. Let them know how you operate best and check in with them about how they operate best. And if you do that, I can pretty much guarantee you that number one, you'll have so much good information up front about no guessing games, no like, oh my God, he didn't understand, he didn't read my mind and know that I needed my quiet time. You will have much calmer relationships. And before I bring Janelle on, just a shout out to my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. It is a group for women in their late 30s to, I don't know, however, single and looking for a really healthy relationship and is open to guidance along the way. We are not a place to come and just bitch and moan about how horrible dating and relationships are. This is a place to grow. So if that's something of interest for you and you are, you can also be in a relationship actually and want to do better. So come and join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Janelle Annette, she's an inner work guide for women. She founded multiple programs that help women overcome their painful patterns, and connect with their self-worth. She has dedicated the past five years to crafting her methods, and she worked alongside a wide variety of world-class mentors and teachers. She focuses on shadow work, inner child healing, ancestral trauma, conscious relationships, and 
relating authentically. She believes everyone deserves to harness the power of self-acceptance, and it is the necessary ingredient for limitless possibility and transformation. Yum. Thank you. Yeah, yum is right. That's definitely how I feel. <laughs> we had a conversation um, a couple of weeks ago just to get to know each other, and I was so impressed by the level of consciousness you have at such a young age, I, it took me until my late forties to wake up and know what was possible. And you're amazing. So tell us a little bit about your story, how old you are and why you do the work you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And um, I will say it does certainly feel like a privilege that I've you know been able to get involved in this work at such a young age, because I know that one, that's not everybody's reality. And two, that a lot of this work also wasn't very accessible um, until now, right? I think it's really in this last, whatever, 10 years that it's really started to, to ramp up. So I, I recognize that that's a privilege and I, I feel grateful for that. Um, so I am 25 and I have been pretty, pretty in this work right until, or right when I was 19, I, I kind of dove in. And what happened is I was in a really dark place. Um, I was uh, just abusing a lot of substances. I was, I didn't even look like myself. Like I had, I just, I looked like a totally different person. I, you know, was wearing all this makeup and, and bleached hair and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it just wasn't really my truth. And I just always felt like I was trying to, you know, be somebody who I wasn't and fit into some kind of scene. And it really felt like since a very young age, I always had this connection to depth and wanting to understand more and like philosophy and all these things. And, and these are just things people didn't want to talk about. So I kind of compounded that and, you know, uh, through my own family system and my own trauma and so on, I just developed a lot of coping mechanisms and numbing behaviors and all these things that kind of took me quite far from myself. So I'm really grateful for that because what that did is it actually pushed me into such a low point that I had no option at, at least that's what it felt like, uh, but to turn my life around because it was going in quite a dark direction. So I kept saying to myself, I was living in, uh, in Calgary, Alberta at the time and felt like my life was really going nowhere. I didn't really know what I was going to do with myself. And I just kept saying that or I, I chose to move to Vancouver. So I chose to move back to Vancouver. I was going to enroll in school. I didn't really know why or what. I knew nobody there. I had no funds. It was a very stressful decision. Everyone kept questioning me. They're like, why are you doing this? You don't know anybody. You have no money. This is ridiculous. You can stay here. But I just kept saying, the only thing that feels scarier than doing this is staying here and doing the same shit I've been doing over and over because it was so destructive. And so part of my consciousness you know, intuition, whatever you want to call it, knew that I needed to, to get out. And shortly after that, I, uh, you know, started working with some plant medicine that really helped turn my life around. I joined a women's circle um, and this women's circle was incredible. It was, um, you know, I had never really experienced anything quite like it. It was this like nurturing group of, you know, kind of would go between like 15 to 25 women and we meet every week and uh, just be like held in, in all of the, you know, the vastness of life and what's presented to us. And you just, you also got to learn vicariously through all these different women at different stages in their life. You know, you had women that were 
women that were, you know, had gotten diagnosed with breast cancer. And then you've got women who had gotten engaged. And then you had a, a woman who's, you know, partner of five years passed away and like just everything you can imagine getting pregnant, you know, having a miscarriage, like just everything. And, uh, it was truly just a, a very life-changing experience for me. So I got to learn a lot through that. And we did a lot of practices around, uh, you know, the shadow, shadow, inner child, reparenting all of these things. So I got to really, um, do a lot of hands-on work to develop my, my toolbox, as I like to say. Um, and then that from there just ignited this fire within me of like curiosity and passion. And I just really followed that for the past five years and have since then found lots of different amazing teachers and, um, you know, worked with them in, in many different kinds of formats. So, yeah, I mean, there's many more chapters to it, but that's kind of the grand overview of like how I got here and and uh, how I got involved in in the work that I I offer today. It's an incredible story, and I I I can relate to not all of it, but to the part where being stuck was too painful. Mm-hmm. There's um, some people are motivated by stuckness. And they don't have to know the answer to what's next. And other people go back to stuckness even after crisis. And I've seen that so many times where I had a client many years ago who was obese, unhappily married to a a man that would never be the right partner. Her house was cluttered beyond, you know, just so chaotic. Everything in her life was chaotic. She didn't like her job. She didn't feel valued in her life. So many things that we were working on and she ended up with with having to go for surgery, like an emergency surgery. And it was really scary. And she said to me, this is my wake up call. You know, I am going to make changes in my life and I'm not going to go back to the life I had. I'm going to make big changes. And She went right back to that life because it was too much. It was too scary. Many, many, many years later, she did get divorced. It became impossible to live with her her spouse. And she finally felt valued at her work. And now she's in a good relationship. But it took a long, long time. You know, Mm -hmm. she's probably close to 50. And so to be as young as you are, um, and you were five five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. It's, um, it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, again, I, I really see it as a blessing and kind of a serendipity too, because the way that I, you know, walked into this life, it was just like one decision to follow my intuition and to go. And then everything else unfolded from there. And it's really nothing that I could have ever foreseen, but I do believe that in me doing this work so young um, and because I believe in this work so deeply that I, I want to be part of the wave, you know, just as you are as well of like bringing this work to the masses, like bringing this work to the public. I mean, at, you know, at a, at a, just a, a grander scale because it's so necessary and healing and helpful. And, you know, it just blows my mind that so many people go their entire lives without feeling seen and heard and supported and validated and loved in, in the mess that life is, you know, like you're explaining with your client, like it it must've felt so isolating to be in that. And I do believe that, 
you know, there's all this change we can do on our own, but at the end of the day, community and having people around you to lift you up when you're in a dark place and remind you of your worth and to see you is so valuable. And it, it just really breaks my heart that people don't have that, you know, um, it, it kind of seems like so much, so much of the time when people are sharing about their, their depths or their, their darkness or their hard times, it's like, somebody's like, this is me and all the things I'm going through. And then the other person's like, well, this is me and all my stuff. And they're like, well, what about me? And my, and it's like, everyone's just trying to be seen. So no one's actually seeing each other. Yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's so hard, you know, cause we just, we need that so much. It's so healing to, yeah, to be witnessed. Yeah. Totally to be witnessed. And it, it is rare because we're so, we're so in need of witnessing. We are, we can't even hear the other person. So yes, community is so important. And when you have transformation to be able to pay it forward, I think is the greatest gift. And it's like, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think we make meaning of things and Mm -hmm. we find reasons and you found purpose and you found meaning and you're paying it forward, which is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Feel, feel very lucky to do so. And uh, also recognizing the the depth of that commitment and, and the honor and, uh, you know, really trying to be completely dedicated to this work in my own personal life too, because, um, you know, as you know, as being a mentor in this work or a guide in this work, it's so important to be, to be committed and devoted to that so that you can really walk that path. And that doesn't mean we're not messy humans at times with complicated problems and so on. Of course we are, but you know, just that commitment to always coming back to understanding and, and going within. Um, it's a, it's important yeah. and a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the integrity piece because I think a lot of people are like gurus, but they're not actually living that life that you would want to emulate. And you also are humble enough to say, I mess up. And that's what makes you human. Walking your talk is saying, I'm not perfect. I, I'm still learning. And I feel that way too. I, I have made some big mistakes and said, done some things that I would not repeat again, but being able to then ask for forgiveness, to admit that you're wrong, admit that you still have a lot to learn is also part of this whole process of living our best life, like really stepping into our value and our self-worth, as you say. Yeah. And I think without that, you know, if we try to say like, you get to a point in this work where everything is just perfect and sunshine and rainbows, you're setting this impossible standard. And then everyone who's trying to do this work is going to feel like a failure. So like, well, this person's got it all figured out and I don't. So I think it's so important that especially leaders in this space are willing to say, yeah, I make mistakes. I repeat you know, painful patterns. I, I do this and that. And just to say the difference is, and this is what I like to see it as, is I'm okay saying, Hey, I, I repeated this thing that I know wasn't too great. And, uh, you know, I kind of saw it happening, but here I am, but I'm just, the, the, the commitment is to always look back. The commitment is to always ask questions. The commitment is to always show up and try my best again and again, and it, things do inevitably shift. They, they really do. Um, So I think it's like just being real about that process for people so that when other people are embarking on this journey, they don't feel like they're just lost or or incapable, right? We got to like lead with that vulnerability there. 
Yeah. And it, it feels too big sometimes to start, you know, that there's so many things I'm working on, like the client I just mentioned, she had so many things going on in her life. Yeah. So in her case, we would deal with how do we deal with the clutter? That's something you can work on a little bit every day. And it's not just going to be about the clutter. It's going to be about order and not having chaos in your life. And then how will you feel when that's taken care of and you have some systems in place and then you start to realize, oh, here's where I also have chaos and disorder. And now I can put new systems in place here. Yeah. And, you know, and it reminds me of ancestral trauma because I actually had worked with a few members of her family and, and there was stuff that was passed on for many generations and it can be really hard to break. So let's talk about that. And um, what is ancestral trauma and how does it play out in our lives? Hmm. Yeah. Well, ancestral trauma, I'd say is really any kind of like painful pattern or behavior or, you know, just theme that plays out in your life that is reoccurring through generations, right? So, I mean, there's two main kind of ways we could talk about it being passed down. And one is very evident that's behaviorally, you know, if your grandmother had a certain way of being, you know, let's say she was very explosive and had a lot of anger, you know, just for example, then of course that behavior is going to impact your mother and how she might have developed and how either she is very similar or maybe she's very retracted and hidden and stays inward or whatever. And then of course that uh, way that she's adapted is going to impact you. So we could just talk about the conditioning that happens through behaviors and ideologies and trauma and, and, and so on. And then there's also the side of epigenetics, which I won't nerd out too much on everybody right now, but it's, um, you know, the study of how trauma could actually be passed down in the genes and specifically how different genes express themselves. So, um, you know, a very simple example of this would be, they did a study with mice and they would put out this cherry blossom smell, and then they would shock the mice. And then when those mice had pups, the pups would respond, have a fear and anxiety response when they smell cherry blossoms, even though they weren't getting shocked. So it's, it's essentially saying that you'll inherit the trauma because trauma, uh, trauma makes us have a defense mechanism. So something painful happens and we develop a defense to it. So that defense could very well be passed down in the genes, also in the behavior, so that you are essentially protected from that trauma because in our you know, evolution, it, it assumes we're going to share a similar environment, right? So um, a way that might play out in human life would be if you had an ancestor who was in war and, you know, they had, they had PTSD, you know, and maybe you notice that whenever there's, you're in a really noisy room or loud noises go off, you have the whole shockwave go through your body. And that might be, and again, could be something totally different. That could just be your nervous system on a little bit of edge, but just for example, that could be um, a defense mechanism that you could have adopted from having an ancestor previously in, in an environment like that. So it's pretty fascinating to think about. And I think what's important when we talk about trauma, not just to go into like, why is it bad and why is it painful, but also to remember that all these things are there because it's our brain's way of keeping us safe. So now that we're in this like self-actualization journey and we're not worried about our base needs, we can you know, luckily transcend these primitive defense mechanisms, but 
we don't have to like shun them or make them wrong or bad because there's a lot of beauty in it too. Lately, I've been trying to figure out my mother and how she ended up being who she is because when she would talk about her parents, she always said they were amazing people. They were so loving and caring. And she also would talk about how she was expected to kind of grow up really fast and mm. to do a lot of chores and it was hard and she didn't have the same privileges as other people. So, you know, both can be true about somebody. And then how we process is really important. So how conscious we become of these patterns and the triggers we have. And I know for myself, when I was parenting my children, I, a lot of these patterns came up for me. A big turning point for me was reading the book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Hmm. It was written probably in the, I don't know, 80s, 90s. And um, it really was just a complete shift in the way that I was parented, which is not to really have my needs met or really paid attention to, even though my parents were trying, they didn't really understand emotions and needs. And it was about, you know, I'm the parent, that's why you do this. And I really thought, you know, you have authority as a parent and that's what you're supposed to do as a parent is tell your children. And if you don't do it, then you get a timeout. And and my kids were really oppositional. They were so stubborn and they, cause I was also raising them to speak up. I, all this stuff was happening. And I realized I had to listen to my kids. I had to really find out what was going on for them and to really put my ego aside because it wasn't about powering over them. It was really about creating, co-creating a system that worked in our family. And I think that, you know, whether we're raising children or raising ourselves, it's really important to take a look at, like, what am I unconsciously doing? And so let's, let's talk about reparenting and childhood wounds and, and what we do, like, you know, these wounds come up, like you, you talked about trauma and how we get these defense mechanisms. And often it's the childhood wounds that are talking in relationships when mm. we're, we're really um, triggered we speak from that wounded place and we're not we're not behaving like an adult we're behaving like a toddler or wherever we got stuck so let's let's go into that let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by amazon music unlimited you can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations plus you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. I mean, just this conversation around needs and learning how to really like listen to your children and so on is is really valuable and, and plays into this because a lot of the time, what we're looking for in relationship is for the, the needs to be met that weren't met when we were children. And then the, I guess you could kind of say the ironic part of it all is that we also tend to attract people that represent 
you know, our, our caregivers in some fashion, right? They, they help us play out some kind of energetic dance that we shared with the, with the caregiver. So we'll find ourselves drawn to that kind of person so we can repeat this pattern. But the whole idea is that in that we can say, I've, I've been wanting this need to be met for so long. I'm hoping you can give it to me. But usually in this attraction, it's like the, the wounds go together nicely. You know, we're both kind of playing out similar themes. So often there's a lot of, um, you know, attraction that happens there based on the fact that you're looking for not the same thing from each other, but you're both matching in terms of the projections you're carrying from your childhood and the needs that you're trying to have met. So a really simple way to just explore this um, for everybody listening is just to ask yourself, like, what are some of the main things that I really, really always wanted when I was a child that I didn't feel like I got? And sometimes this takes a bit of exploring if you haven't looked at that, those early relationships before. Um, and, you know, this could be physical needs, this could be emotional needs, um, you know, and, and, and also look on like, where did you get a lot of, uh, a lot of validation? And where did you Get, have that validation taken away. So for example, if you were to be really, really loved and praised when you did well in school, but then if you had a mistake or you, you failed at something, even though you maybe tried and that love got taken away, you're going to most likely adapt in some way that you're always trying to like perform or achieve or do whatever you need to, to do to continue getting that source of love. Right. And so the need underneath that might have been a, a greater sense of just love and acknowledgement, even when I'm down, even when I'm failing, even when I'm messing up. Um, and, you know, on another example, it could be something like if you when you were really sad and your your parents maybe didn't have the emotional capacity to to help you regulate your emotions and they might have kind of shut you out or just been avoidant or whatever, and you just went to your room to cry. Maybe there was a need there that you actually really wanted to be seen and supported and held and through through your grief, through your sadness, right? And then you could, of course, draw those parallels of like, now as an adult, do I have a hard time processing my emotions or whatever, right? So you can kind of see the whole spectrum, and then that will all play naturally into the, the romantic relationship as well and how you might interact with your partner. Yeah. Yeah, we just uh, unconsciously do all this, you know, and I want to yeah. keep repeating that because I think, you know, that when you look back and you go, wow, um, so this is why I keep dating the same, you know, different people with, this, the, with the same basic uh, patterns and, um, and why I'm getting so frustrated. And yeah. I think often we think, oh, no, this person is totally different from the last partner, but they end up being so similar. And I, I know I did that in my marriage. I thought I was what I was supposed to do because I had no consciousness, really a small consciousness. I would say I was attuned to how life worked. And I, I certainly was much more in tune than most of the people I knew. But I thought that the key was date somebody who's the opposite of my father because I struggled with my dad. And I thought my future husband was the perfect opposite. He, I was looking for somebody who didn't have depression, who um, was more grown up emotionally than my father was, um, somebody who could provide for me because my father struggled with that too. So I saw a person who was a provider. He was a comedian. He seemed to, you know, who's depressed? He's a comedian. <laughs> 
After our first crisis in our marriage, he was depressed and very stuck. He really struggled not not to make a living, but he struggled with emotions um, a lot and really had difficulty with conflict, with things not going his way. And that was so dysregulating for me. I wanted to talk everything out. And so I see now that it wasn't about looking for the opposite of my father, but getting needs met that were not met both in the relationship with my father and my mother. And, you know, and so there's a lot of people are drawn to charismatic people, people who are, um, you know, super smart, but cold, you know, trying to win over the love of somebody who can't really give it to them. So I'm wondering if you can share some examples of your from your own experience or clients or even your own life, if you would like to do that, to, to have us really understand how this works and what reparenting looks like. Yeah, so I mean, just on that note of the trying to go in opposition to your attraction. I think I've, I've personally done this before where I normally kind of dated a certain kind of guy. And then this other man came into my life and he was totally opposite. And, uh, the thing is, is I, I wasn't actually that drawn to him. I tried to force something because he seemed like this is what I should be attracted to. This is really, seems really healthy and so on. And I mean, it, it wasn't really on all the levels, but I almost tried to force myself into something that I wasn't drawn to because I thought that that was doing the work or, or doing what was right. And so I learned this very powerful lesson there that even if the pattern that I was drawn to is dysfunctional in a way, because in some sense it, it is for everybody, right? We're playing out these childhood wounds. It's always going to have an element of dysfunction. That's, that's really what relationships are here for. They're teachers, but we can't, we can't avoid that. We can't avoid our attraction. So instead of saying, okay, like I'm, I'm typically attracted to maybe these kinds of people who aren't maybe meeting me or maybe you're a bit, let's say, for example, emotionally unavailable or a bit cold. It doesn't mean that, you know, we have to totally just force ourselves into something that we're not into. We have to do the work within that attraction. So an example from my life, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just speaking to it now is that pattern of the emotional unavailability and um, more going toward that. And for me, it's been this big, uh, big journey of, of, like I said, doing the work within that container and also looking at my own emotional unavailability that's being mirrored. Because for, for anybody that is really attracted to people that are emotionally unavailable, there's often this, this um, unconscious connection to it because you yourself don't have to be emotionally available. If you know somebody's not going to bring you into those depths. If they're not going to meet you with their heart wide open, you don't have to do that either. So it's understanding your part in that attraction. And then for me, my work is always to open my heart more, lean in more, speak my truth more. And whether that changes the energy of that dynamic, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but that is what gives me my answer, right? Because there's going to be partners that are going to be willing to meet you in the work, right? Whether they need to, to lean in or they need to pull back, right? If they're a little more anxious, they might need to pull back and come into their center. If they're a little more avoidant, they might need to lean in with you. But there's going to be somebody that's going to be willing to work through their stuff. So I think it's important that 
even if we're uh, attracting a partner that is quote unquote, a pattern, or it's not good, we're, we're not enjoying it. We need to assess how am I co-creating this pattern? What do I need to do to counteract that? And then from there, how they respond is kind of your answer as to, is this somebody that's worthwhile investing in because they're either going to, like I said, meet you in that work or they're not, and they're going to, they're going to run away. So that's kind of how I like to see it. And, uh, I mean, it's a journey. Sometimes you think you're so done with something and then you find it rearing its, its head and people you would have never expected, like you said. Um, but I've, I've learned to shift my perspective because it used to feel so daunting and like, oh, this again, I don't want to do this again. I've done this many times. I've worked through this, but I now see it as just countless opportunities to heal and meet myself and go within and like learn to love myself more and express myself more and, and feel more trusting of life and other people too. So, um, yeah, I've, I've made peace with that. The story I was just sharing about my ex-husband is that story. It's, I purposely tried to fall in love with the opposite pattern that I had fallen for before because it had been heartbreaking and I had no idea how to heal myself at that point. And that container was really helpful to me. I learned a tremendous amount, it was painful, but I learned a tremendous amount. And it's why I ended up in this profession because I am not alone. You are not alone. We we do this and we we have to really look at ourselves and our part in order to heal, in order to change the unhealthy patterns. And and I love what you say about the container. The relationships are where we do the work. We do some of it on our own, but we do a lot of it in relationship with others. And whether it's even in friendship, you know, really being more truthful, showing up more expressing what you need, what, who you are and being honest instead of trying to people please and morph into something you're not in order to make something work. Yeah. You know, the answers lie within, like you said, that the way somebody responds to you being you authentically is going to tell you a lot about that person. And being able to work through conflict is so critical to growth it's not about avoiding it like most people want to. You know, you just stuff it down, stuff your feelings. I mean, I see with clients, all my client calls today were people dealing with emotions and not really fully expressing what they needed. It was all about either being angry at the person for making demands on them, but not really being vulnerable and emotional and expressing what they needed and the effect the other person was having on them. And it's, it's, uh, it's just critical work, it's such important work. It's hard work, it's really hard. Yeah. And in, in unhealthy relationships, it becomes a full out battle of egos and nobody walks away happy. So it's just important to practice these safe relationships where you can say, look, I, I had a moment, I, I lost it, I'm tired, I took it out on you, I'm sorry. Um, can we have a do-over? Can we talk about this? You know, or my feelings are hurt and I, I, I need to express that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think conflict is actually a, like a gateway into connection. And it's like you said, so many people would rather just avoid it and not really go into it, but I've actually had in some of my relationships and I'm, I'm really, you know, romantic and friendship when there has been a big conflict and we've actively 
worked through it and talked through it. The places that I've gotten to with people is just like some of the most heart opening, expansive experiences I've ever had in my life. Like I really think because underneath conflict, conflict is often a lot of anger and defenses. And I mean, anger is a beautiful emotion. I don't want to shun it. But often what's underneath that is sadness and hurt and deeper things, right? Deeper themes that are at play apart from just what's going on in the surface. So when we actually have a safe space to like go into that and talk and open, I've found the deepest connection lies there, right? And so it's like being willing to like go through the conflict and do your best to, of course, set your your reactivity aside and do all of these things. But nonetheless, the more and more we can do that, the more we can show ourselves vulnerably and and, um, authentically and be seen by other people and then leave that that conflict actually feeling loved and connected and seen rather than separate, it helps heal really deep stuff because then it says, I can still bring my anger and maybe some of my messiness and some of my whatever's there, right? Maybe even if I feel a little bit of shame about how I reacted or whatever, I can still leave this conflict or leave this this dynamic feeling loved, feeling seen. And that helps me realize that me and all my humanness is lovable, right? Like we, we help rewrite our lovability stories when we, we enter into that together and uh, we get to be loved through our mess. And that's, yeah, for me, it's been, it's been really profound. I have, uh, I, I feel very grateful to have a lot of friendships and relationships where everyone's willing to do that work with me and, and really get to the bottom of it because what's on the other side is always very eye-opening and healing. Definitely. Yeah. It's, that's such a beautiful thing. And I, I think so many people are just petrified of conflict. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's something you want to avoid. And without conflict, we don't have intimacy without arguing or disagreeing. It's the way we do it that matters. It's not the fact of conflict. And I think for so many of us, conflict represented violence. It represented um, an assault on us without it being connecting. And maybe we experienced that in childhood, you know, or in relationships. And we don't want to repeat that for sure. But there is a way to do conflict in a way that, you know, we're fighting fair, which I've talked about here on the podcast and in many of my blog posts. So let's let's talk about reparenting and mm-hmm. um, you know as a as a gateway to heal some of these wounds. Um, what does that look like? What is that? Yeah. So I mean, going back to that conversation earlier with the the missing needs. Um, so really, just assessing like what is it that I kind of always felt like I I needed to 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 get when I was a child. And I didn't really feel like I ever got that or was never seen in this way or validated or whatever. And so in exploring that, you have an opportunity to understand where you need to then step in as your own inner parent and meet the needs of your own inner child. So if you, um, let's say, for example, needed to be validated in your sadness and feel like it was safe to be sad as a child, you then get to decide, I'm just using an example, you then get to um, actively be the parent for your inner child. And when you're starting to feel sadness, you know, you can go in and practice self-soothing and carving time out to really be with that feeling or making an active um, effort to do check-ins. Like, how am I actually feeling today? 
And can I scan my body and feel the different sensations that are going on so that I'm more attuned to my emotions? Because in this example, and I think this is a fairly common one that a lot of people and their parents didn't really know what to do with their sadness. So I tend to see that a lot of people have a hard time connecting with, with their vulnerability. Um, it's really important that we actually have a body-based practice to be able to like pick up on the more subtle emotional cues because we're so in our minds that we're often disconnected from how we're actually feeling until we get to a point of explosion. So if we can make it a practice to tune in every day, right? And that's just that in itself is an act of reparenting and feeling what's going on in my body, right? Is there an emotion that I feel like I can connect that to, right? So we look at the sensation, you look at the emotion, and then you go, what do I think is the need in wake of that emotion? Like, what is the base need? And then how can I actually go out and get that need met for myself today? So really reparenting is being self-honoring, is taking ownership for your own needs and um, taking action in terms of actually getting those things met so that you and your inner child feel more safe, feel more supported, feel more seen and held so that you're not uh, putting all of that out into the world. You're not putting that expectation for other people to like save you or to meet all your needs out into the world and you can actually be self-resourced and self-reliant and so on. Um, because when we're in relationships, if we think that, you know, everyone is going to be there to take our pain away and solve all our problems, we're just going to be in codependent um, messes for the rest of our life, right? So reparenting is this really important process. And that's not to say that, you know, your partner can't help you get your needs met. Absolutely, they can. But we need to ensure that first and foremost, we're able to meet our own needs so that again, we don't become reliant or we don't feel, you know, not whole in our own selves. So that's kind of the basis of it. And um, I think it can be done step-by-step, step, right? Like gentle, gentle little step. Yeah, small, small little steps that all add up right together. Because um, a lot of the time people can get really overzealous and be like, I'm going to, you know, implement this 40 minute morning meditation routine and go to the gym six times a week. And we set all these intense goals. And then often we end up, you know, not quite meeting that. So I think it's really important with this work to be gentle and to go slow and just to pick one thing to start with. Um, and to really also celebrate and honor yourself along the way, because most people struggle with that. Most people struggle with feeling like who they are and what they do is ever enough. So I think also practicing self-validation is pretty important for everybody here along the lines of reparenting. I love that. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who wants to go on their last first date, go gentle and slow, reparent yourself, like really heal, heal those inner child wounds because otherwise you're going to keep repeating patterns. You're going to expect somebody else to heal you, which is really unreasonable. When I'm dealing with a client, I see that um, their partner might kind of not be taking care of their stuff and then take it out on them. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to recognize that if somebody's doing that to you to, you know, recognize that they're in pain, but that it's not fair to take it out on you. Like that's their, it's their job to, to work through what's going on so that you can support them. It's not your job to carry it. And I think we often feel we have to carry the load of everybody else. And 
Yeah, so be kind, um, be kind to yourself and others. I love that. Janelle, where can people find you? Most of my work at the moment is on my Instagram, which is um, the handle at Janelle Annette. Uh, in my Instagram, you can go into the link in my bio and you can find different resources and things like that. I do have a free um, mini course that you can take. It's called Healing Painful Beliefs. So there's that, which you can access directly through my Instagram page. Um, I can share a little bit about that. Yeah, please. Okay. So Healing Painful Beliefs is a short mini course. It takes approximately an hour and a half to go through and it's interactive. So I'll be sharing just some teachings and then walking you through different processes to help you self-apply. And it's really all about my framework, which helps people understand um, their belief systems, how that actually plays out in their day-to-day -day life, and then how to actually break through that and transform that using both the mind and the body and different embodiment practices so that you can really become more self-expressed. I'm really, I'm really all about, yes, let's, you know, psychoanalyze. Yes. Let's look within. Let's, let's ask these big questions. But I also know that a lot of the integration happens in the body and in our expression, because so much of our communication is also body language and, you know, tonality and all these other expressive things. So I'm really about um, starting off with the mind, exploring through the mind and then integrating in the body. So healing painful beliefs is just a, you know, a light, guide in all of that work if you're if you're curious about that that sounds really valuable it's such important work thank you for coming on the show today janelle and for sharing the wisdom of your of your short short amount of years but incredible <laughs> incredible age in wisdom thank you so much for having me here uh, it's such an honor and uh, thanks everybody for listening if you love our show the best thing you can do is share it with others rate and review us give us a five-star review write a review it's uh it's always a, something i'm really grateful for grateful for you for listening and um, as always here's to your last first date if you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.